Book One, Chapter Twelve of Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Book One, Chapter Twelve. Toussaint endeavors to suppress the slave trade in Santo Domingo, and thereby incurs the displeasure of Rome, the representative of France. He overcomes Rigaud. Bonaparte, now First Consul, sends commissioners to the island. End of the war in the south. But Toussaint L'Ouverture found troubles and hindrances in an unexpected quarter. During the fratricidal war which deluged the South with blood, the horrible traffic of the slave trade was revived on the east of the island. This commerce, originated by Jean-Francois and Bissot, continued after their disappearance from the political scene, and went on constantly increasing. Young blacks, stolen in the north, were conveyed to the city of San Domingo, where they were shipped for Puerto Rico and Havana, there to bear the yoke of slavery. Many of the old officers of Jean-Francois pursued this as their only means of subsistence. Aware that representations had in vain been made against these barbarities at the court of Madrid, and indignant that slavery, when nearly extinguished in its old form, should be revived in a new and even worse one, Toussaint wrote, December 25, 1800, from the walls of Jacmel to the agent Rome, urging him, as the only effectual means of putting a stop to the evil, to take possession of the Spanish part of the island, conformably to treaty. Under the pretext that it was necessary to await the arrival of some European troops, Rum postponed the execution of the request. Toussaint was too versed in politics not to be aware that the ostensible postponement was in reality a refusal. He also became aware that Rum's adviser was one who owed no good will to himself. That person, being invited to give an account of his conduct, emigrated to Puerto Rico, justifying the suspicion that he had interested motives for promoting the continuance of the infamous traffic. This event, in which Louverture appears to fresh advantage, and acted in agreement with the general tenor of his public life, occasioned an estrangement between him and Rome. The agent had conceived the plan of conquering the English possessions in the West Indies. On an enterprise of such a nature and magnitude, he ought to have consulted, and, if he were willing, employed the commander-in-chief. But, either to show his independence of Toussaint L'Ouverture, or to put a public insult on him, he passed by that general, and confided to Marshal Bays, the command of an expedition against Jamaica. In order to pave the way, he sent into the island two men of determined character, a white and a mulatto. Those emissaries were denounced, taken, and hanged. The event interfered with Toussaint's operations, for the English captured a flotilla which he intended for the blockade of Jacmel. From this time there existed a rupture between Rome and Toussaint. Criminations were exchanged, each threw impediments in the way of the other. Toussaint could not regard Rome as a sincere friend of his race. Rome affected to believe that Toussaint had sympathies in favor of the English, with whom France was at war. At last, 
Rome demanded a vessel to convey him to France. As soon as Toussaint had become master of Jacmel, he proceeded to the Cape, and in an interview with the agent, reproached him, in the presence of his staff, with being an enemy to the colony and to the liberty of the blacks. He further required him to give an order for the occupation of the East, resolved to put down the slave trade, of which that was the center. Rome refused compliance. The consequence was that he apprehended the agent and sent him to prison. The expedient prevailed. The order was given. Toussaint dispatched General Aguet to Santo Domingo and returned to finish the war in the south. A regular campaign was begun. The rebels were defeated and abandoned several posts, the retention of which was indispensable to their safety. Rigaud saw his star grow pale. Most of his superior officers abandoned him. Desertion spread through the ranks. On the other side, Toussaint appeared amid his troops, radiant with victory. He brought with him pecuniary resources. With these, he distributed pay among the soldiers, and so, while supplying their wants, gained their confidence and excited their enthusiasm. The two armies sat down opposite each other. Skirmishing began. Then serious recontras took place. At last, issue was joined, and the revolters suffered a signal defeat. After this trial of strength, Rigaud might be troublesome, but he could not be formidable. Driven to desperation by his failures, he ordered his men to lay waste the country, and, to use his own words, to take such steps that the trees should have their roots in the air. His old hands, thinned by war, sickness, and age, became Rigaud's sole reliance. On every side his cause was abandoned by the citizens and the civic authorities. Thus was he reduced to a leader of banditti. He saw his position, and issued this proclamation. It was his last word to the public. Considering the crisis in which the department is, owing to the unjust and inhuman war carried on against it by the traitor Toussaint Louverture, from whom no one must expect either safety or honor, I am obliged in the position I hold, to take the only measures that remain to save the department, considering, moreover, that proposals for peace or for suspension of arms directly concern the executive power, and that, in all cases, it is to the chief of the armed force of the department that the right belongs of proposing peace or suspending arms, because he ought to seize the moment favorable for proposals of the kind, which, if made in critical junctures, and by those who have not the means of putting a stop to the evil, may embolden the enemy, and cause calamities he would have avoided. For now a year this war has been going on. The popular bodies and the pretended friends of peace have taken no step to stop its course. At the present, when the enemy has had some success, and when terror has taken possession of feeble and timid minds, they fancy that a monster thirsting for human blood, an ungrateful wretch, a traitor toward the republic his benefactor the devastator of saint domingo the executioner of the parish of jacmel the persecutor of all the french agents finally the slave of the english that he only can grant a peace or a suspension of arms citizens of the southern department undeceive yourselves if you think that anything else than arms can save you while you wait for the intervention of the French government to whom those differences between the South and the other departments have been referred. Be well assured, my fellow citizens, 
that i have your tranquillity and your happiness too much at heart not to seize all opportunities to procure for you peace or a suspension of arms and if the enemy adhere not to the proposals which in proper time and place i shall think it my duty to make to him i shall know how with the aid of my brave comrades to make war on him even to extinction resume your courage if he is powerful in numbers and resources your fellow-citizens composing the southern army possess courage and honor and will find means to secure your safety under these circumstances and employing the powers confided to me i make these provisional arrangements which are to be punctually executed and accordingly ordain article one the municipal government of the south shall for the future restrict themselves to the simple but useful functions of verifying births marriages and deaths but all municipal deliberations all assemblies as well as deputations to the enemy are interdicted the municipalities shall only lay before me the wishes of their fellow citizens to which i will give replies article two parochial assemblies may take place after permission has been obtained from the commander of the southern department article three before legal permission is given if there are meetings whether of individuals or of parishes in the cities or in the country martial law shall be forthwith proclaimed and the chief of the armed force of the district is authorized to put his troops in movement to put down the said meetings he shall begin with mild measures and then employ severity if he is forced to it article four the greatest vigilance shall be observed toward the disturbers of the public peace and against secret disorganizers the proprietors shall be protected and their property shall be respected the national armed police shall be in permanent activity in the interior and those who shall be denounced for any crime against order and safety shall be apprehended and tried by a council of war and punished according to the laws this manifesto the spirit of which is even worse than its logic and its grammar served only to show how undone rigaud was and how necessary that all who had any regard for themselves or the public good should abandon the desperate gladiator his bands however were unwilling to yield blood therefore flowed in streams the old men of the south are said still to shudder when they think of that conflict which they designate the war of the knife thus showing to what extreme means the combatants resorted in their deadly hatred and murderous strife the proclamation was scarcely anything more than the half-articulate words of a man who was staggering to his fall two more serious conflicts tried and lost and rigaud's star went down below the horizon while during the weeks and months of a long year these frightful scenes of mutual carnage had been covering one of the finest parts of haiti with corpses and ruins the directory in the mother country too much occupied with its own divisions and party interests gave no attention to the distracted colony a change was at hand bonaparte hastening from egypt overturned the directory and snatched the reins of power having taken his seat he called around him december two seventeen ninety nine those who were thought to be conversant with the condition of the colony in order to discuss the means of restoring peace within its borders the representatives of toussaint and of rigaud were alike heard shortly after 
a decree was issued by which vincent raymond and michel were deputed to haiti in order to carry thither the consular constitution and a proclamation addressed to the inhabitants rigaud was recalled to france toussaint l'ouverture was confirmed in his post as general-in-chief the proclamation was far from inspiring confidence or promoting tranquillity among the blacks since it postponed and deferred to another legislative act the promulgation of the laws which were to govern haiti michel dissatisfied with the bravery of toussaint l'ouverture returned into france raymond whose mulatto's skin made him an object of suspicion was ordered to remain at the cape vincent alone was received with confidence he presented to the commander-in-chief the new constitution a letter written from the minister of marine and the proclamation of the consuls in the proclamation were these words brave blacks remember that the french republic has given you liberty and that it only can cause that liberty to be respected these words it was ordered should be inscribed in letters of gold on all the flags of the colonial national guard toussaint manifested no haste either to publish the proclamation or embroider the sentence on the colors how could he promulgate a known falsehood the republic had not given freedom to the blacks the blacks under their able leader had extorted freedom from the hands of their masters toussaint who was well informed of the views and intrigues regarding the colony which were nourished in paris knew that his ruin had been resolved on before the self-elevation of bonaparte to the consulship had the ill-feeling passed away why then had not the first consul written to him under his own signature distrust and disquietude prevailed in the relations of l'ouverture and the representatives of the new government in france it is true that rigaud was disowned but toussaint was not cordially embraced nor were the rights of the blacks frankly recognized and legally settled as soon as he had given audience to vincent toussaint l'ouverture set off for the seat of the not yet wholly terminated war after a few days he sent for vincent in order that the chief civil and military powers should be on the spot in the hope of bringing the business to an amicable termination the general induced vincent accompanied by a black man and a man of color to go on a deputation to the revolters who yet stood out he put into the hands of the deputies an act of amnesty in favor of all who had taken part in the war not even rigaud excepted the deputies reached calles where rigaud held his headquarters the city exhausted by so long and so disastrous a conflict heard with pleasure of the object of their mission rigaud was quickly informed of the arrival of the deputies on reading the dispatch he flew into the most violent passion the outburst was so violent as to endanger vincent's life that agent however was the bearer of a letter from rigaud's son to whom he had shown the kindest attentions and who declared to his father the gratitude he felt in return the mulatto chief eagerly threw his eyes over the lines all at once his wrath ceased but the warrior soon overcame the father vexation took the place of vengeance he would not live he could not endure to live again and again he tried to kill himself at length he was calmed down and ere many days he quitted san domingo for the shores of france thither he was accompanied by petion and some of his principal officers the other mulatto chiefs 
emigrated to various parts of the archipelago of the Antilles. Thus terminated the war in the South. With that war, every obstacle to the freedom of the blacks disappeared. One after the other had hindrances and opposition been swept out of the way by the strong hand of Toussaint L'Ouverture, the Negro champion of the Negro race. Against the colonists, against the Spaniards, against the English, against the mulattoes, against the French representatives, and in a measure against blacks themselves, had he, by prudence, perseverance, and prowess, by singleness of aim, by unity of purpose, by personal efforts the most astounding, and a union of skill, caution, and daring rarely equaled, vindicated the freedom of the Africans in Haiti. There was yet a stronger power. Religion, in its relation to the grand work he had undertaken, rose in his breast to enthusiasm. In some sense he was, he believed, God's envoy and God's agent in the fierce and sanguinary struggle. In that conviction he found light and strength which had to him the vividness and the authority of what, in a qualified sense, may be called inspiration. Here was the grand secret of his success. He has himself given an outline of his career, which may appropriately find insertion in this place. At the beginning of the troubles of San Domingo, I felt that I was destined to great things. When I received this divine intimation, I was four and fifty years of age. I could neither read nor write. I had some Portuguese coins. I gave them to a subaltern of the regiment of the Cape, and, thanks to him, in a few months I could sign my name and read with ease. The revolution of San Domingo was taking its course. I saw that the whites could not endure, because they were divided and because they were overpowered by numbers. I congratulated myself that I was a black man. A necessity was laid on me to commence my career. I went over to the Spanish side, where the first troops of my color had found an asylum and protection. That asylum and protection ended in nothing. I was delighted to see Jean-Francois make himself a Spaniard when the powerful French Republic proclaimed the general freedom of the blacks. A secret voice said to me, Since the blacks are free, they need a chief, and it is I who must be that chief, foretold by the Abbe Reynal. Under this feeling I joyously returned to the service of France. France and the voice of God have not deceived me. These words are reported from memory as depending on the ear and the tongue they must be received only in their general tenor our narrative which rests on satisfactory vouchers shows that long prior to the age of fifty-four toussaint could at least read if taken as indicating the defectiveness of his scholarship even at the time when he began his task they are doubtless substantially correct and their testimony goes to confirm the unquestionable fact that not by ordinary human appliances and aids did this extraordinary genius accomplish his meritorious and noble work. Footnote. The instruction which Toussaint received in boyhood is testified by his son Isaac. In his interesting notes to the memoirs, he wrote, Sur l'expedition de Franquès sous le consulat de Bonaparte, appended to Métras Histoire de l'expedition de Franquès à Saint-Dominique, Paris, 1825. According to Isaac's testimony, Toussaint, when a boy, learnt something of Latin and geometry, page 326. While yet he was in the service of Spain, Isaac says of him, 
without having topographical maps of those countries after the example of captains of the ancient world lucullus pompey caesar toussaint made one he laid down on paper according to information given him by people who knew the districts their extent their respective distances the direction of the mountains and of the rivers and everything remarkable such as defiles etc etc page three twenty nine the skill to form such a map besides involving reading and writing gives countenance to the intimation of isaac toussaint that his father had some acquaintance with geometry as well as drawing doubtless the father's scholarship was always quite rudimental End of footnote. End of book one, chapter twelve. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.